Australia's biggest pop icon, selling more than 80 million albums around the world. But the journey there, well, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello. Hello. My goodness, it's Kylie Minogue time. It's Kylie Minogue time and I have been so excited to do this for such a long time. I'm a big Kylie fan, but when I say I'm a big Kylie fan, I'm a big fan of her music, but truthfully, mm. I didn't know a whole heap about the early years of her career at all. Yeah, neither. It's such an interesting one. Truthfully, I'm going to be honest with the listeners, Kylie's music has always put me in a good mood, but it's not music that I tend to reach for when I'm opening Spotify, if that makes sense. However, I was fascinated to dive into her life. As soon as we started researching this one, I almost couldn't get enough. So I am like raring to go with this three-part Kylie Minogue series. Yeah, exactly. And I think what's really interesting about this three-part series is we do focus far more on the earlier years of her career. Like a lot of us know what's happened in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, but when she was really, really famous and when she became really, really famous through Neighbours, I wasn't even alive. No. So I am so excited to be able to tell this story. I mean, we've chronicled the careers of people like Miley Cyrus and Taylor Swift, but what about our OG homegrown pop, pop icon, pop princess, sorry. <laughs> we have been reminded as well in the last couple of years, Zara, how massive Kylie Minogue has been in Australia and beyond, particularly because of that trademarking battle she had against Kylie Jenner. Do you remember that? I do remember that. That was quite remarkable, that story. So for people who don't remember that, she ended up in a legal battle with Kylie Jenner a couple of years ago because Kylie Jenner had been trying to trademark the name Kylie in the US, but Kylie Minogue actually blocked her efforts. Her lawyers basically <laughs> tried to argue that Kylie Minogue was a bigger deal than Jenna. And so they were basically fighting over who has primary <laughs> rights of the name Kylie based on who has the kind of biggest cultural impact with that name. One of the most interesting details about this story is that Kylie Minogue's lawyers dismissed Jenna by saying that she was, and I quote, a secondary reality television personality who appeared as a supporting character on the Keeping Up franchise. <laughs> that is so funny. It's amazing. Now, Kylie Minogue's team eventually withdrew its opposition, which did lead some people to wonder whether they had settled out of court. But it was a really good reminder of Kylie Minogue's fame and power because as big as I know her to be, in my age bracket right now, I would say Kylie Jenner is one of the biggest celebrities in the mm. world. So for those two to go head to head in a really competitive way reminded me of my own ignorance probably yes. and my own youth. Yeah. And as you said, Kylie's career did take off before many of the people listening probably were even born. So this series is all about how Kylie's life and career has evolved over the years. We're going to be tracking the highs and lows of her time in the spotlight. We're going to be looking at her love life, her career decisions and brand Kylie as a whole. I cannot wait to get into it, Zara. Shall we rewind to 1968? Shall we ever? All 
right, Zara. Kylie Minogue was born on the 28th of May, 1968 in Melbourne. Hello, Kylie. I love it that she was born here. Her mum, Carol, was a former ballet dancer who worked as a tea lady in hospital. Her dad, Ron, was an accountant and she was the eldest of three kids, Michelle. She was. When she was two years old, Kylie's brother, Brendan, was born. A year after that, Kylie's sister, Danielle, or Danny, as she's now more commonly known, was born too. Kylie Minogue grew up in the affluent eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Now, much like Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus, she did discover her love of singing and acting at an early age. Mm. We're finding this to be a very common thread with women who grow up to be big powerhouse pop icons. Now, to help us research this episode, we did read the biography Kylie Naked by Nigel Goodall and Jenny Stanley Clark. And a lot of this episode is drawn both from that biography and another biography from Sean Smith, along with interviews and profiles we've read. So there's quite a bit going on here. There's a lot of a lot. Now, Kylie said that when she was eight years old, my pals and I went up to my bedroom, put on our party frocks and mimed to ABBA records using boom handles as microphones. But according to the Naked biography, it was when Kylie actually watched the musical film Grease starring fellow Aussie Olivia Newton-John that she realised she really wanted to pursue a career in acting. Yeah, Kylie's aunt, Suzette, was involved in the acting world actually and heard about a small role for a child in The Sullivans, which at the time was a really popular Australian TV show about an Aussie family living through the Second World War years. Yeah, Kylie auditioned and landed that role in 1979. She actually appeared on eight episodes playing a Dutch war orphan who made friends with a group of Australian soldiers. But aside from that, as well as appearing in an episode of a kid's show called Skyways that year, Kylie Minogue didn't act again for another five years. Yeah, and this is kind of where I find the story gets really interesting because meanwhile, Kylie's younger sister, Danny went on to become a national TV child star in Australia. Now, according to the biography, Kylie Naked, Danny became almost a household name. She regularly appeared on Young Talent Time, which was surely of its time one of the most iconic shows on mm. Australian TV, a little bit like the Mickey Mouse Club getting kids to perform. Sounds a bit weird as a concept. I don't know. Do you reckon we would have that today? I guess we had the voice kids, but it wasn't nearly as iconic. We have things like MasterChef Junior or whatever they call it, but that's for cooking. So it's not really the same. Yeah. It's not asking kids to be performers. The star. Yeah. And a personality, but that's exactly what Danny was. Yeah. Now Kylie did have a few small roles here and there, but as the independent once wrote, it was nothing to approach the fame of her younger sister, Danny, who was a national TV child star. Now, I knew that both of these sisters were, of course, famous, but I don't think I truly grappled or had a deep enough understanding of how massive Danny Minogue was first. Yeah, absolutely. Now, multiple sources have talked about how Kylie struggled in the shadow of her younger sister and was reportedly tasked with opening her fan mail (laughs) and forging her signature on photos. (laughs) Now, multiple sources suggest that it was sibling jealousy or rivalry that motivated Kylie to pursue acting again. Part of me wonders if that's just like an easy, convenient story to tell. But Regardless, as Nigel and Jenny wrote in Kylie Naked, charged with the task of helping to deal with the constant mountain of fan mail that seemed to drift in at a steady rate, Kylie quickly discovered that she was no longer a person in her own right, neither did she have her own identity. Super interesting. What do you think about that? Do you think it is a more convenient tale to tell that she was kind of motivated by rivalry or do you think it's a it's 
could have perhaps been a story of, well, she's in the industry and now, you know, that looks attractive to me. Truthfully, my only reference point for this is my own experience of childhood, my (laughs) own experience of sibling rivalry. And on the balance of probability, knowing how competitive I was, particularly with my sisters growing up, I don't think it's a stretch to say this could have been sibling jealousy or sibling rivalry. Of course, you're happy for your siblings. Of course you are. But you also lack the maturity as a very young person to be only happy for them. Of course, she's going to be looking on potentially and going, I want that for me. Why is that not me? I don't think there's anything wrong with being Absolutely jealous of your siblings. Not. No, I think, I think you're right. I think that it is often an age thing as well, lacking the maturity. I think it also can be a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B to be like, I now have exposure to an industry that not a lot of kids would have exposure Mm. to at that age and I want it as well. For sure. Now, The Independent wrote that Kylie's desire to be more like her little sister is what drove her to audition for a part on a TV drama called The Henderson Kids. Now, looking back on that time, the show's director, Chris Langman, said... Kylie was vulnerable and very shy and it came across. At the time, Kylie was living in the shadow of her sister, Danny. I think she found that hard, but it's possible to be shy yet driven and that was Kylie. Yeah, in May 1985, so the year that Kylie Minogue turned 16, the Henderson Kids aired on national television. Now, this show was formative for Kylie, but it was also one of the first times that she experienced a major rejection because while she did star in that original season, she wasn't asked back to reprise her role in a follow-up sequel. Her character had been written out of the show's script. Yeah, but it wasn't long before she actually did get her big break. In 1986, 17-year-old Kylie landed a role on what was then a new Australian TV drama called Neighbours. Neighbours. Now, we need to set the scene and explain what Neighbours was back in 1986 because, as you said, Zara, this show was in its infancy and looked quite different to how it looks today. Yeah. Now, I imagine that most people listening to this, you know Neighbours as the show that ran on Channel 10 right after The Simpsons. It had that pretty iconic lineup there. But (laughs) Neighbours actually first aired on the 18th of March in 1985 on Channel 7 in the 5.30pm slot before the early evening news. Now, fun fact, it was actually originally going to be called One Way Street. I'm happy they changed the name. But are you? Like One Way Street? One Way Street. But Neighbours. Neighbours is great. Neighbours is like gossipy, what's happening next because door. You One Way so- Street. Because you associate the show with the name. Once a show is built around <laughs> the name, the name itself loses any sort of power, I think, as a word. Are you sitting here and advocating that Neighbours should have been called One no, Way Street? No, but I think if we sat here and it was <laughs> called One Way Street, there is every chance that we could say, fun fact, it was originally going to be called Neighbours and you'd have the same reaction. You're making good points, but for my yeah. own ego's sake... I I simply refuse to agree (laughs) with you. (laughs) Now, this show was actually a flop to begin with. The ratings for Neighbours were so poor, except for in Victoria, that by November, just eight months after it premiered, Neighbours was dropped from Channel 7's schedule. Suddenly, and thankfully, Channel 10 announced that it would take on the program but relaunch it within two months. Yeah, as the biography Kylie Naked points out, It's not surprising that Channel 10 wanted to cast more teen characters and storylines when it relaunched in January 1986. 
According to the biography, when you look at the viewing figures from Neighbours' first run on Channel 7, the show's strongest fan base was 14 to 18-year-olds. So teenagers. Mm. So they were like, all right, if teenagers are our strong fan base, let's hire some teenagers to act. Yeah, let's cater to that audience. Kylie Minogue successfully auditioned for the new character of Charlene Mitchell, a frizzy-haired mechanic and the girlfriend to Scott Robinson, who the network recast with a budding young actor, Jason Donovan. So the character of Scott Robinson actually existed in the original season of Neighbours on Channel 7, but Channel 10 identified it wasn't quite the right fit with that actor, so they recast it and chose Jason Donovan out of the heat to do it. <laughs> Not the best for the ego of that first actor, whose name we don't even have here. <laughs> now, Kylie first began filming her first ever episode of Neighbours in February 1986, she was originally only signed to appear for 13 weeks, but after her first episode aired on the 18th of April 1986, she was recruited for another 26 episodes straight away. Now, the show was also picked up and aired in the UK. So it first aired in the UK in October 1986, which was what? Oh, no, month Oh, months. month maths. We're going... Five-ish months after oh, it first aired in Australia. Months. April to October? That's April to October. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Five months. That makes sense. Great. Now, <laughs> the funny thing about this is the UK started airing it. I mean, naturally, I guess, started airing it from the first episode, which meant there was a big delay between storylines hitting Australia and storylines hitting the UK. Mm. Now, Neighbours quickly went from that irrelevant cancelled Channel 7 drama to one of the biggest shows in the country and the UK. As journalist Amin Sainar wrote for The Guardian last year, in the era of streaming ad niches, it is hard to emphasise just how huge Neighbours was or the number of huge careers it launched. Yeah, now according to the biography of Kylie Naked, to this day, Jason and Kylie are associated with putting neighbours firmly on the map by, and I quote, literally consuming the hearts of a generation. Neighbours also very quickly became front page news. Which is hard to even, like it's hard to fathom that a soap opera would become front page news these days. I'm obsessed with it though. Like yeah. I'm obsessed with going back and discovering this because it does feel like another world. Mm. Channel 10, I love this story, actually invited <laughs> the Daily Mirror from the UK to witness Charlene and Scott's first screen kiss on an isolated beach <laughs> on the edge of Sydney. Now, the paper ran a front page headline that read, TV shock, teen sex on TV tonight. <laughs> But apparently viewers are quite disappointed when it turns out it wasn't teen sex, it was just a teen kiss. Also a good reminder to know that clickbait is not just a thing of the internet era. Yeah. This was massive back then too. Looking back on this time, Kylie once remarked, I remember a few cast members were in the green room at Channel 10 and someone came in and said that Neighbours was being played in England. We thought a few people would see it. A couple of kids homesick from school and maybe a bored mum. Then we started hearing reports that doctors' surgeries were changing their hours and kids were leaving school early to see the show. There was such a buzz. From that point on, as Nigel and Jenny wrote in Kylie Naked, the power of celebrity kicked in. Kylie and Jason were the nation's favourite stars and their faces suddenly took up residence on most of the teen magazines, even on the cover of TV Week, Australia's leading TV magazine. Yeah, the biographers went on to say they were the golden couple that would take neighbours from early evening comfort viewing to a top-rated Australian soap drama across three continents. 
Kylie actually took home the Logie that year for most popular actress, making her at the time the youngest actress to ever take home the award. She was just 18 years old at this point. It's also pretty remarkable to win that award the first year that you're properly acting as an adult. Like how we know and consider the Logies now, I know that they can be a bit of a punchline, but let's be real. Like it's really the only kind of award ceremony we have. The best we've got. For (laughs) our TV industry. And it's very rare. You would never see that today. I really don't think that you would. I don't think someone would be coming out of the blocks that quickly at 18, 17. Well, to be able to endear yourself to that number of people that quickly has to just boil down to raw talent. Of course, it's something that you can kind of manicure the longer you go on in your career. But this for Kylie as an 18-year-old showed that she was just born with something. Like she had the X factor. A star power thing, right? It has to do with people being drawn to you and not knowing why. You have this charisma. Yeah, and I think stars simply must have that. I think what would make more sense is if she took away best new talent, but she didn't take away that. It was most popular actress. Another noteworthy recipient of an award that night was none other than her on-screen partner, Jason Donovan, who did take home the Logie for Best New Talent. So good, but not as good. Good, but not as good as your on-screen partner. Now, while everyone was chatting about the actor's chemistry on screen, it turned out the chemistry off-screen wasn't too bad either. But that, Zara, is coming up after the break. Talk about podcast clickbait. (laughs) All right. So they're big. They are massive, massive actors who are already receiving massive accolades for their role on Neighbours. But Zara, behind the scenes, Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan weren't just friends. Yeah, we know a little bit about how Kylie and Jason's relationship grew from a friendship into something more because of Jason's autobiography, Between the Lines. In that book, Jason wrote, playing lovers on a TV show is not like working side by side in an office environment. It's part of your job to become intimate with one another. As time went on, I realised this was happening between us. Yeah, he went on. The on-screen kisses between Scott and Charlene became a little more lingering. (laughs) We'd add a hug that wasn't in the script or our hands would brush against each other after the director had called cut. Towards the end of the year, the producers sent the characters Scott and Charlene and Mike and Jane to Sydney. I remember that trip for other reasons. It was there, in the less than romantic surroundings of the Sydney Travel Lodge, that Kylie and I admitted our feelings for each other and finally got together perhaps the most obvious point in the world but how sweet like I love reading stories of teen romance like that where it's like our hands would brush against each other or like we'd hug each other and hold it just for that extra second longer like it makes me feel giddy like I'm a teenage girl again yeah and it would be nice to like go back to that feeling it would be lovely but here's the thing that's most interesting to me about this No one knew publicly that these two were dating. According to the biographer Sean Smith, Kylie and Jason were told by Channel 10 that they weren't allowed to tell the public that they were a couple. Here's a passage from Smith's biography. Brian Walsh, the promotions manager for Channel 10, warned them that if their romance became public knowledge, it would ruin the show and their own popularity. The view was that, while the audience loved the fictional love affair between Charlene and Scott, they might not be able to handle Kylie and Jason arguing in the supermarket over which brand of breakfast cereal to buy. I so desperately want to unpack this with you, Zara, because this is such an interesting PR move. And to Channel 10's credit, 
it bloody worked. Everyone was desperate for any kind of morsel of information they could get about these two actors away from neighbours. But nowadays, we never really see this. If anything, PR experts are desperate to concoct fake relationships as publicity for a show. To kind of inverse that and say, as publicity for a show, we're hiding a relationship between the actors and for that to be so successful is fascinating to me. The more I sit with this, the more I actually wonder if that's true. Do PR people concoct relationships for TV shows or do they do it for films where there's a finite amount of time that these people are working together? Mm. Maybe they were worried with hindsight that these two would break up because they were teenagers and what do you do with a show if people knew that they were together and then aren't together and then are acting about being together? Mm. Like I'm actually wondering if we see PR relationships in TV shows because it's it can be messy to consider that these people were in real life and now they're not anymore. I don't know. It clearly, as you say, though, whatever the motivation was, it clearly worked. And I think what's been most interesting diving deep into sort of the world of Kylie is that this didn't seem to be like a one-off thing for her. From the earliest of years, she was incredibly driven in her career and would often put her career first. According to celebrity biographer Dino Scatina in a piece published in The Age in 2004, since the earliest days of her career, Kylie Minogue and the people around her have staged, managed her public persona like a magic show made up of mirrors, smoke bombs and powder puffs, helping project the image of this five foot nothing girl from Campbell well into something so much larger than life. Yeah, back to Jason and Kylie and their relationship for a second though. According to most reports, Jason and Kylie were a pretty boring couple because they were working so much on Neighbours and we know to be on that show it is a gruelling schedule. Those actors are working really extreme hours. Kylie and Jason didn't have much time to do anything other than work. So they weren't exactly appearing on the social circuit. They weren't getting themselves into trouble by going clubbing and things like that. On days off, apparently, they'd occasionally go out for dinner, maybe go get a coffee or drive down to Phillip Island. Yeah, all very lovely and very normal. (laughs) Now, this brings us to the part of the story where Kylie went from on-screen sweetheart to absolute triple threat because while she was quickly becoming one of the most famous actresses in the country, work was also kind of going on behind the scenes to make her a pop star. Now, Kylie used to participate in casual Thursday night jam sessions with the cast of Neighbours. And one guy in the Channel 10 building, this guy named Greg Petherick, actually worked on the TV station's late night music show. So there was a lot going on in the same building. And he helped Kylie break into the music industry for real. At one session, the story goes that Kylie asked Greg for a song that she could kind of muck around with and Greg handed her a cassette of Little Eva's 1962 hit, The Locomotion. Yeah, Greg Petherick told News Corp years later, I don't remember how well Kylie knew Locomotion, but I said it would be a cool song for her to sing at these Thursday night jams and she agreed. Now, on the 11th of July, 1986, a few months after first appearing on Neighbours, Kylie performed at the Fitzroy Football Club benefit concert with some other Neighbours cast members. She performed a duet of Sonny and Cher's I Got You Babe and the audience loved it so much they demanded an encore. Yeah, now without any other songs prepared, Kylie and the Neighbours band decided to perform The Locomotion. Now Alan Dale, who was there, said she was standing in front of me, right in front of me and we sort of moved into it, you know, come on baby, do The Locomotion and off she went. 
When she'd finished, silence fell. We looked at each other and couldn't believe it. He was this tiny little girl who looked great and was great, who could sing like an angel as well, really, really well. She was a good singer. Yeah, Kylie later said in an interview that Greg Petherick, after that show, approached her and said, you should make a record. And then I had stars in my eyes. Really? Wow. And he organised for me to do a demo. Yeah, so by 1987, Kylie was signing with the successful Australian music label Mushroom Records. But Kylie actually said she didn't take the demo to them, admitting, I am not actually sure how it ended up there. And we actually have since got the story from old mate Greg, (laughs) who has spoken about what was going on behind the scenes. And the truth was actually that it was very hard for him to get anyone in the music industry to take Kylie seriously. Yeah, he told News Corp that he was actually knocked back multiple times by multiple labels. He said, no one really knew who Kylie was. She'd only just started on Neighbours. It was the very early days. I flogged that record to death. All I got was covers don't work. It won't work with a soap star. She's got no credibility. Now, while it feels pretty common these days for actors to break out into the recording industry, think like, I don't know, Miley Cyrus, Zendaya, Drake, Drake, even. As Greg, looking back on this time, said, at that period, there wasn't anyone who had really moved from being a soap star to making a record. Kylie herself also said that at that time, pop music wasn't played anywhere. I was a bit of a joke for doing that. Yeah, so we now know that Greg Petherick took that demo to Mushroom Records, although he didn't hear anything for a long time. He said, I was under the impression that nothing was going to happen with it. I went back to working on TV shows. Now, eventually the demo actually fell into the hands of Mushroom's promotion manager, Amanda Pellman, who actually could see at that point how Kylie's stardom could be leveraged. Now, as we know, at this point in her career, Kylie was the face of Australian teen TV. She was on the cover of most teen magazines. And so Amanda really thought to herself, there is something here. Yeah, there was one problem though. Amanda thought that the demo was, and I quote, terrible. (laughs) She did say though, and I quote, I really liked the idea of working with people who were already established on television. It gives you an instant promotion outlet. Sadly, at that time, the only example of that was Mark Holton. (laughs) No one really had done the TV to music thing since then. Now, Amanda was the one who came up with the idea to aim the record at Neighbours viewers, particularly young adolescent girls who idolised Kylie. With Amanda's endorsement, Mushroom decided to take on Kylie Minogue and made a few changes to the demo that they thought was a little below average. So they looped in a music engineer by the name of Mike Duffy who reworked that demo. The song was scheduled to be released on the 27th of July 1987, just three weeks after Kylie would appear in one of the most famous episodes of Australian television history, The Wedding of Scott and Charlene. Yeah, we cannot talk about Kylie and Jason's time on Neighbours without talking about their on-screen wedding, otherwise known as one of the most iconic television scenes ever seen on Australian television. Now, at this point in time, Kylie and Jason were both 19, but were actually playing a 17-year-old in Charlene and an 18-year-old in Scott. Quite odd that they wanted a 17-year-old woman to get married on this show. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? In the show, the characters of Scott and Charlene were talking about moving in together. 
And according to the biography Kylie Naked, this did actually cause an uproar among conservative audiences who thought they needed to be married first. So naturally, the solution was to quickly marry them on the show. <laughs> By July 1987, the episode had been so hyped up that even Time magazine had the couple on the cover of their magazine. An early July issue of the Australian edition carried a heart-shaped picture of the happy TV couple and the issue itself was dedicated, and I quote, to all those who are in love and all those who can remember. Now, what I find really interesting about this is reportedly the magazine was trying to make sense of, and I quote, the cult of niceness Mm. that led to the rise of Neighbours. Now, according to biographer Sean Smith, the characters of Scott and Charlene were the embodiment of comfy armchairs, the unbearable niceness of being. So this was clearly a time in Australian TV history where people were just wanting to watch something wholesome and lovely and nothing more. Yeah, so interesting. The show's creator, Brian Walsh, apparently arranged a publicity event for this wedding episode as well. He hosted a wedding breakfast for 400 competition winners at the Park Hotel in Parramatta. This event attracted 4,000 frantic young fans though. According to that biography we mentioned earlier, the crowd got so out of control that police had to rush in and chaperone Kylie and Jason away to safety Some fans were so frantic they got injured and taken to hospital. I think it's just a really interesting example to kind of highlight the frenzy around these two. People didn't just love Kylie and Jason. People were obsessed with Kylie and Jason. Yeah, exactly. Now, in the episode, Kylie wore this huge long sleeve lace dress, a veil perched atop her very permed and backcombed <laughs> hairstyle. And as Neighbours costume designer once said, it was perfect for its time. He said there was a lot going on, frilly details, waistbands with flowers, chantilly lace. It was the <laughs> 80s summed up in one fabulous mess. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And my God, did this episode work for Channel 10? This was a huge success. This episode was viewed by 2 million Australians when it aired. And if that was not enough, an astonishing 19.6 million Brits tuned in as well. This made it the third most watched show of 1998 in the UK. It remains the most popular episode of a soap TV show in all of Australia until this day. And I think it would be pretty fair to say that I don't think anything's ever topping that when it comes to soap TV. A fun fact as well, they filmed Walking Down the Aisle 20 times and it was such a cultural moment that even their wedding song, Suddenly by Angry Anderson, shot up the charts. Yeah, now on July 27 that year, just a few weeks after the wedding episode aired, we gave you a little teaser about this earlier, Kylie's first solo single, Locomotion, debuted at number 10 on the Australian music charts. Within a week, it shot to number five and then by August 10, it hit the top spot and stayed at number one for eight weeks. According to that celebrity biographer I mentioned before, Dino Scatina, it wasn't all smooth sailing at the start. Mostly, I think you could argue because of snobbery. Mm. In a piece he wrote for The Age in 2012, he said, initially, Minogue's foray into music was met with widespread derision from critics. The music establishment, her co-stars on Neighbours, many of whom would actually soon release singles of their own, (laughs) and even employees with in her own record label. Now, even the founder of her record label, which was Mushroom Group's Michael Gadinsky, said at the time, there were people at the time saying, this is the end of Mushroom, how could you be doing this? 
but it didn't phase me. Yeah, Dino Scatina actually went on to say, the negativity soon turned into revolt. Radio stations proclaimed themselves Kylie Free Zones. The media labelled her the singing budgie. One backyard entrepreneur in Melbourne turned a tidy profit printing I Hate Kylie t-shirts. Ian Molly Meldrum, one of the most, I guess, iconic figures in the Australian music scene, also once spoke about this and said, I got really pissed off at times where people were trying to put her down and call her a one-hit wonder. It was just ridiculous. It was hurtful for her, people knocking her all the time. But she had such a strong, devoted fan base already in Australia that just got bigger and bigger, so it didn't matter what those people said. I didn't know this. Mm. Like I, I guess – as someone who was born in 94, only now know Kylie as someone who is beloved and iconic mm. and universally adored. I had no idea how tough it would have been in those early years for her to kind of establish any form of credibility in the industry. Yeah, and I really love this as well. I loved the moment that you and I kind of uncovered this with our researcher, Justine, because I think it's so easy to think the people at the top of their game, the people who achieved the pinnacle of success in their field – had such a linear path there. But I think actually acknowledging that they reached that point despite the many doubters, despite the hurdles put in their way is so much more inspirational. And I love this about her story. I love that people doubted Kylie, people derided Kylie or belittled Kylie and she made it anyway and kind of laughed in all their faces because the truth of this story is that the critics were almost immediately silenced by the numbers, Zara. Exactly. Locomotion became the best-selling single of the 1980s in Australia and the biggest-selling single in the history of Mushroom Records. Good on Mushroom Records for taking the risk. Absolutely. Now, naturally, with this success under her belt, thought turned to Kylie's next big move. A former sound engineer that worked with Kylie actually had connections to the record-producing powerhouse called Stock 8. Waterman. Now, this group, known as SAW or SAW, is to this day considered one of the most successful songwriting and producing partnerships of all time, having created more than 100 UK top 40 hits. That is a ridiculous amount of hits. Yeah. Also probably a ridiculous amount of money, but it's just <laughs> an aside. According to the biography Kylie Naked, Kylie's sound engineer, that guy Mike Duffy, who I mentioned earlier, had told one of the members of the songwriting trio, Peter Waterman, that they should take Kylie on. But Peter hadn't actually heard of Kylie, nor had he watched an episode of Neighbours. Yeah, by this point in the story, we're at the end of November 1987. Kylie actually boarded a plane to London thinking after her chats with Mike Duffy that she was going to work with the trio. This was a big deal to her. I think it would be a big deal to anyone in the industry with this kind of opportunity on the table. The only issue was that Peter, one of the members of SAW, was the only one who knew Kylie was coming and hadn't told his colleagues yet. So for a week, Kylie Minogue and her manager were left waiting in their London hotel room waiting for a call. Ridiculous. Now, according to The Independent, Peter actually got a call from his partner, Mike Stock, saying there was, and I quote, a small Antipodean in reception expecting to do something with us now. Now, Peter replied, she should be so lucky, which Mike then said, 
that sounds like a song. He started writing the lyrics. But because they hadn't planned for Kylie, they had 40 minutes to write that song. Yeah, thankfully, though, they spent that 40 minutes writing it because I Should Be So Lucky was released in December 1987 and was a huge hit. That's a month after they wrote it. Insane. Entertainment Weekly wrote, I Should Be So Lucky took Kylie from soap opera pop star wannabe to worldwide breakthrough. I Should Be So Lucky went on to hit number one on the charts in Australia, Japan, Germany and the UK. I think it's high time to remind people of the timeline here as well because Kylie first debuted on Neighbours at the beginning of 1986. She had become a global TV and pop star. Now asked about that transition in a 1987 interview, Kylie said she wasn't sure how she'd managed to keep up with it all. She said, I don't know. This year's happened very quickly. I never would have guessed in my wildest dreams that this would have happened, especially in one year. But it has, and I'm very lucky, I guess. And I've just been trying to use it to my advantage, I suppose. With that single out and oh so successful, people naturally started asking yet again, okay, what's next? Mike Stock of SAW later admitted to The Guardian that it was a mistake for the trio to kind of ignore Kylie or peer down at her like she's their inferior. So they ended up having to kind of grovel for Kylie's forgiveness. She was, of course, offended by how they had treated her when she'd flown all the way to London. Yeah, exactly. He wrote, I went out to Australia at the start of 1988 and met her in a bar with Jason and her manager. I basically crawled 100 yards on my knees and (laughs) apologised profusely. She took it well and we did some more recording. She would be working on Neighbours from 5am, then come to record with me at 6pm. Tiring for her. But at least this time I had the songs ready, the lyrics typed up and everything in order. The timing for Kylie's album was perfect. In the UK, they were moving Neighbours from that lunchtime news spot to prime time. Kylie's self-titled debut album, Kylie, was released in July of 88. The album spent more than a year on the UK album's chart, including several weeks at number one. It went on to become one of the best-selling albums of the 1980s over in the UK, and according to The Independent, sold more than 14 million copies. Now, Peter, the guy from SAW who reportedly said she should be so lucky to ever work with them, later told The Independent, I don't know if any pop star will ever be as popular as Kylie was back then. Wow. Huge. To round out that year, so 1988, a 20-year-old Kylie made two big career decisions. First, she was going to leave Neighbours to chase something bigger and better in the UK. Secondly, she was going to release a duet with her boyfriend, Jason Donovan. But before we chat about that single very quickly, Michelle, let's talk about how she left Neighbours because... It was one of their more open-ended departures. I imagine they hoped desperately that her career as a singer would fail and she would come back. In the show, Charlene moved to Brisbane where her grandfather had bought a house for her and Scott, all very quaint. Scott couldn't go with her, so she said goodbye on the promise that he would join her as soon as he could get a job transfer. Yeah, so Kylie Minogue left the show and that same month, she and Jason Donovan released Especially For You. It was a single that spent four weeks at number two in the UK to then hit number one in January 1989. At this point in their careers, Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue are young, talented and at the top of their games. Yeah, absolutely. But looking back... 
trouble was afoot for the young couple. As noted by biographer Sean Smith years later, Jason remarked, I found it really hard to deal with her fame at the time. I was extremely jealous of Kylie. Yeah, Sean Smith wrote about this. Kylie was leaving the life Jason wanted for himself. He wasn't that much into pop and didn't exactly like her records, but he desperately wanted what she had. In his perfect world, Jason would have been Stock Aitken and Waterman's big name rock star. With hindsight, he realised that his girlfriend's success was the beginning of the end of their love affair. He was happy for her to be a number one artist, but the implications for them as a couple would soon be apparent as the demands on Kylie's time and energy grew. He described it in his book as a terrible sinking feeling. Meanwhile, the couple were kind of still a secret. In a promotion for their duet, Kylie sort of half-heartedly played along with the now years-old charade that they weren't romantic. She told interviewers, everyone believes we're together and I suppose it's quite obvious, but no one can be 100% sure, can they? (laughs) If they knew all about us, where we slept, what we did together and so on, wouldn't it spoil the mystery? Yeah, within months though, that element of mystery really didn't matter anymore because Kylie had fallen for someone else and oh so publicly and his stardom was big enough to rival her own. That love story between Kylie Minogue and NXS frontman Michael Hutchins though, Mish, is on next week's episode of Scandal. I cannot wait. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of Scandal. You better believe we will have the most iconic gallery of throwback images of Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan and everything in between on our Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast over there. We'll also put up some interesting clips about Kylie and Jason on our TikTok account at Shameless underscore podcast. Thank you as always to our researcher Justine Landis-Hanley and guys as always we will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye! Bye! Bye!